0: Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, Disciple's Journey. Uh, This episode is about section 136 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, This is in January, dead winter, 1847. Um, For those of you who are familiar with some history, this is about six months before the saints would uh, arrive in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, So, the saints were driven out of Nauvoo, and there are some miracles around that. The the Missouri, sorry, excuse me, even more miraculous than Missouri, the Mississippi, which is a giant river. Uh, if you've never seen the Mississippi river and you get the chance to be around it, go see it. It is impressive. Um, I'm sure there, you know, I know there's other rivers in around the world, but only a handful, a few that are as massive. Um, I was blown away when I was at Nauvoo. um, but this this river that is giant freezes over. The saints are able to walk across it um into Iowa. And as they reach the banks of the other side and they're looking back, the they see uh the Navu temple, this temple that they had dedicated to to their god. Uh this second temple um that they've had to have now abandon. They see it's it's on fire. Um as mobs had come into Nauvoo and we were driving them we are going to drive them out um and not i don't want to spend too much time on this part of the story but it's a, a part of the story that I do know some about because i served my mission in iowa and then i actually ended up with mission boundaries changing uh finishing my mission in the nebraska mission and so i served in southeast iowa um, right across the river, basically from Nauvoo, and was able to visit Nauvoo, and then I ended my mission in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, which is Omaha, Florence, Nebraska. It's right winter quarters. Is, the winter quarters temple is there, um, and so there's a visitor center. And we would, you know, there's this the story of the saints coming across to there, and then from there to Salt Lake, and got to be even more familiar with it because of this. Anyway, uh, there was some. Murmuring, and I mean, I think how how would you not be upset about having to abandon another city, another temple? And there was some particularly rainy uh, time in Iowa there, and it created this uh, mud, just sludge. And to make matters worse. And I think it's because of this, maybe some of this bickering and some of this complaining. Um, In southeast Iowa, there's a river, uh, well, it goes across the state, but the Des Moines River in southeast Iowa kind of does this bend horseshoe. And so as you're going from east to west, as the saints were, if you cross it in the wrong place, and then you want to try to cross it and you were to go straight across, you would end up having to cross this river twice um and so you know they didn't know this they did not really have uh you know proper map uh, to guide them they're just heading west and they end up crossing this the Des Moines River and because of because they're in the middle of this Des Moines River and a lot of rain and so the water table's pretty high anyway you get this sludge and this mud and this is the point if you if you're familiar with church history and the saints and the pilgrim or the pioneers coming across and there're stories of them moving you know a hundred yards a day, or even less sometimes with their with their hand carts and with their wagons, because the sludge and the mud was so thick and deep and they couldn't move. This is where this is this is Iowa. Um, and so it takes them as much time to go across just Iowa as it did for them to then go from winter quarters to Salt Lake, which is a significantly f- uh, farther distance. And so they now are in winter quarters and it's called winter quarters because they quarter there for the winter. Um, Another story for you. And now this is neither here nor there uh, in terms of the veracity, but it was shared with me by a member of the church on my mission who uh, was also, is also Sioux Indian. And so, uh, you know, again, I can't vouch for the veracity of this, but it's a it's a fun story, so I'll share it. Um, the Sioux Indian were known for their distrust and disdain for the white man, and who could blame them? Uh, they were mistreated, and in general, they were not very friendly to just outsiders, just in general. So, um. The story goes that there was a, a young man uh, who, when to become a man, they would take them out. To become a, quote, man, they would take them and they, had to, they would go on a vision quest, which essentially meant they would have to go out into the wilderness by themselves, fasting, no food, no water, until they had a vision that they could then come back and share with the elders of the tribe. Uh, and some warriors would go out and accompany them and kind of surround them Far enough away that the the boy would be alone, but close enough that they could make sure he didn't run away or go back to the village, right? So, uh, and occasionally they'd go check on the boy. So one time this boy's out there and uh, he's been out there a couple of days and warriors go, a warrior goes to check on him and he's not there. So they go back to the village, say, hey, has he come back here? Have you seen him? No one's seen him. And so they say, well, he's missing. So they get a little search party together. They go look for him. And they end up going back to where he had was supposed to be, and he was there sitting. Um, and it's at the, by this time it's been several days that he'd been missing. But they find him, and they go uh, to, to to grab him and to pick him up and to take him back to the village. And he says something very interesting to them. He says, "You can't touch me. I've uh, you can't touch me. I've been with my father." And they thought that that was an odd statement because his dad, his father, had been back at the village, obviously. So they didn't know what that meant, but so what they end up doing is they get a a board for him, and he climbs on the board, and they carry the board and carry the boy back. They carry him to the elders, and they say, do you have a vision to report to the elders? And they say, yes. So according to the the man telling me this story, he said, you know, most of the times, most of the time, they would, these these boys would come, and they would report some vision about, you know, um, they had seen a great eagle soaring through the sky, and you know something a lot like showed them some vision of their of of who they were meant to be or something, and the, the elders would say, "Okay, very good, thank you, boy." And and then they could eat. They could break their fast after they shared their vision. Um, and but this boy, he shares a story. His his vision was, he said, a holy man, a holy white man will will come will come from west or from the east to the west to us. His people will be in need. And we are to help them. More or less, that's the vision that he shares. That's the story. That's the gist of it. That there would be a holy man. He specifically called him holy and that he would be a white man. <laughs> and that the the Sioux were to help them. Uh Then they say to the boy, all right, boy, do you want to hear, you can break your fast, it's good vision, break your fast. And he says, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm going back to be with my father. And he, and he died. So, this story is, you know, the chief holds on to this story. Um, I could, I'm getting maybe the timeline wrong here, but it's not, I think it was one generation later. So it was this chief that was alive at this time who heard this vision. His son is now the chief. And a holy white man, Brigham Young, comes across from east to west with a people in need. And to that point, the Sioux had been very unfriendly and had been non helpful to other pilgrims and travelers. There had been others that had come across. But when he, uh, the Sioux story is that when he meets Brigham Young, he knows that this is the fulfillment of this young boy's prophecy. And the Sioux Indian helped the, the saints. They helped them establish winter quarters. They helped give them food because they arrived in the winter. There was no time to plant and to harvest. And uh, without the generosity of these Native Americans, uh, many, many more saints would have died. Um, again, I'll get into a, a bit of this section, but this is this is this time in church history is one of my favorite because of my mission, and the Winter Quarters Temple is unlike any other temple I've ever been to. Uh, you know, each maybe has its own unique thing and unique spirit. In the shadows of the Winter Quarters Temple, and we talk about Section One Thirty Five and, and Joseph Smith sealing his testimony of his blood. There is a cemetery in the shadows of the Winter Quarters Temple, where many of those who died, many saints who died in Winter Quarters are buried, who sealed their testimony with their lives. Elder Ballard said these people were were asked to give their lives for the gospel. We likely will not be asked that same, but we are asked to live our lives for the gospel. And Brigham Young is seeking and wondering what should we do, and so section one thirty six is revealed to him, and he he refers to them as the camp of Israel. We are the of the house and tribes of Israel, as we are adopted in through our covenants. He tells the Lord, tells them to send pioneers to prepare things in uh, out west. What is a pioneer? A pioneer is someone who goes before and makes. The trail easier for those who come after. So how can you be a pioneer? What are you who are you blazing a trail for? How can you do how can you live the gospel so that it's easier for those who come after, for your children, for your extended family, for your neighbors? And in this time of just just more pressure and more calamity, and we've been driven out of Nauvoo. We've had this hard journey across Iowa, and we're in the winter quarters in the dead of winter, and I can tell you something, having been there. Winters in the Midwest of the United States are not friendly. But verse 18, the Lord reassures us, and it's a reassurance that exists throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, throughout Revelation. Zion shall be redeemed in mine own due time, and if any man seek to build himself up and seeketh not my counsel, he shall have no power, and his folly shall be made manifest. But if we seek the Lord and his counsel, he will redeem us. Cease to contend one with another. Build Zion, be a Zion people, even in the winter quarters of your life, even in the trials and the troubles, and especially in those times. One of my favorite verses in the Doctrine and Covenants, My people must be tried in all things, that they may be prepared to receive the glory that I have for them, even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement is not worthy of my kingdom. And boy, do these people bear chastisement. But we can take courage from them because they came before. We can look to their stories so that we can get strength to go through our journeys and our chastisement. This is three years or so after the prophet Joseph has been killed, two and a half or so. And now cometh the day of their calamity, those who have driven out the saints and killed the prophets. Even the days of sorrow, like a woman that is taken in travail, and the sorrow shall be great unless they speedily repent, yea, very speedily. For they killed the prophets and shed innocent blood, which crieth from the ground against them. And I've mentioned this in the podcast, but in the past, The United States, the American Civil War is 13 years away at this point. Sorrow, calamity, travail. And as someone who believes in the prophecies and the words of God, I can't help but attach and associate that with what they did to a prophet and what they did to the saints. Go look across history. Go look in other scripture and see... Um. Yeah, and just see what happens to, to to nations and to communities that do that. And then there's this reference back to Joseph Smith, and the Lord says, "People have marvelled. Why did he have to go away? But he, it was needful that he should seal his testimony with his blood, that he might be honored, and the wicked might be condemned." The Lord has his reasons. And it was a seal of his testimony, and what it did also was it sealed the actions of these men and, and this nation. That now that now they're now they would be held accountable. And in the last uh, episode of my testimony of Joseph Smith, I'll end this testimony with my testimony of Brigham Young. Brigham Young was the prophet. He picked up that mantle he was given; as that mantle was placed upon him. And why is, my, why is my testimony of Brigham Young important? Because then my testimony of John Taylor and Wilford Woodruff and Lorenzo Snow and Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas S. Monson and Russell Nelson. There's a living prophet who guides us just as Brigham Young guided those saints from Nauvoo to Salt Lake. And how did they do it and why did they do it? Had, they had an eye on the eternities. They had an eye on the temple. The first thing they did when they got to the valley was mark a place and start the temple. Build Zion, gather Israel. Thanks for listening, everybody. hope you join me next week as we continue and finish out uh, the, the quote-unquote doctrine and covenants. But there is more to come after that, obviously, but I hope to talk to you next week.